0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/work. shopify.com/work. Hey everyone, it's Pacific. If you like the show and you like what we do, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help our show reach new listeners. And if you really, really like the show, consider becoming a member. For just $5 a month, you can get early and ad-free access to not only Out of Place, but other Midnight Disease shows like The Theater of Tomorrow, The Hotel, and, arriving next week, Margaret's Garden. All this and much, much more at midnightdisease.net slash join. And, without further ado, this week's episode...
1: It's been a strange day. Okay, I've had plenty of strange ones lately, but this was a new record. I hope it doesn't set a trend. Lola is still staying with us. I suppose that's part of the strangeness, but it feels sort of normal. Mike had to leave early, something about an upgrade to the network. He does computers, I don't know. So I had breakfast with Lola. The poor girl's gone through a lot. Thirteen years old, mother gone, palmed off by her father on a pair of guys, only one of whom has any idea of what he's doing. Still, she seemed fine with toast for breakfast. I dropped her off at school again on my way to the Institute. The other parents there must have thought I was her father, which for some reason made me feel rather sad. Professor Bertwhistle wasn't in today. According to Miss Arundel, he was at a symposium on museum management and curation skills. I only hope the excitement isn't too much for him. I had to head up to his office to pick up a form, requisitioning some more liquid soap and polishing wax. Those pot shards aren't going to clean themselves. Everything has to be justified and signed for, of course. The professor's door was unlocked and I guessed he wouldn't mind if I sneaked in to grab the form for myself. Well, actually, I suppose he would have minded, but I didn't intend for him to know. His office is a mess. It probably all makes sense to him, I suppose. Three walls of books and journals arranged at random, bunch of filing cabinets and heaps of papers, calendars on the walls from before I was born. I tried to hunt down where the requisitioning forms might be. I flicked through heaps of yellowing paper and folders full of black-and-white photographs from archaeological digs. I didn't find the form. I found something else. It was a sheet of metal, the size of an A4 piece of paper. It was about half a centimetre thick and it had writing machined onto one side. At the top was a crest with an eagle beneath what looked like a representation of an atom. Below that were reams of writing as small as possible while still being legible. The thing was at the bottom of one of the filing cabinet drawers, and it weighed a ton. I sat at the professor's desk and tried to read it. It was in English, thankfully. I was a bit less thankful that it was in legal language, trying to understand it was a bit like reading Dutch. It resembled a language I knew, but it was too different to be fully comprehensible. There were lots of undersigns and herewiths. At the bottom were two signatures, also machined into the metal. One was Professor Birtwistels, and having seen the formless scribble he uses, I'm pretty sure it was legit. The other was of someone named Caroline Beckman. I have no idea who she is. From what I could tell, the contract is between the Carruthers Institute and the Exclusion Area Research Project. I thought immediately of the project that sends me their artefacts from time to time. The one Mr Havisham belongs to. If it was the same one, it might explain a lot. Or rather, it wouldn't explain anything, not really, but it would at least give me some kind of idea what the hell is going on. The contract bound the project into funding the Carruthers Institute at the level the University of London had been. I thought the University of London still did fund the institute did they pull the plug and burt whistle kept it quiet and then get into bed with this project to keep the place running whatever the case in return the Carruthers institute would store whatever extra contextual artifacts the project sent it in an archaeological sense the context of an artifact is the surroundings in which it was found the exact location, the depth of the soil, the other stuff found nearby, that sort of thing. But once you take it out of the ground, it is removed from that context. Every last potsherd and medieval coin in the Carruthers Institute basement is extra contextual by definition. Unless the context they meant here was that of our understanding, our world. Our comprehension of what is real and what isn't. Artifacts from outside that context. From other worlds. From other realities. Sometimes the implications of what I'm doing here at the Institute hit me all at once. They hit me then. I sat there for a long time, trying to make the idea of different histories fit into my head. Was there one timeline with different versions somehow existing at the same time? or different dimensions entirely, different universes? I suspect to really understand it, I would need to have a much better grasp of mathematics than I do. I put the contract back where I found it and tried to make it look like I hadn't been in the office. I went back downstairs, brushing off Miss Arundel's small talk, and returned to the basement. Of course, there was a brown paper package waiting for me when I got to my desk. For a moment I thought it was the contract again, somehow teleported into the basement to haunt me for daring to look at it. But the package was rather bigger, poster-sized, and it had the thickness of a picture frame. It was addressed to the senior archivist again, still not entirely sure, that's supposed to be me. I opened it with the familiar tingle of fear. Not the anxiety that someone's going to jump out at me, but a, a slow, quiet fear. I'd rather have the thing blow up in my face than feel that fear every time the brown paper tears. There was a card tucked inside. For the attention of the head archivist, signed, Mr Havisham. The package contained a framed poster. It was old, yellowing a bit, and in the style of one of those old playbills with dozens of different acts listed in big blocks of printed text in red and blue. At the top it read, Monterey Pop Music Festival. Along the bottom edge was the date, June 16th to 18th. In the middle were lists of music groups and acts, with the text varying in size according to the significance of the performers. On the lower side of the frame was fixed a small brass plaque that read "Guaranteed Authentic Bayside Records and Memorabilia». There really was a Monterey Music Festival on those dates, in 1967. At first glance, the poster was identical to the ones from that festival – It was a big deal, as I understand, so an original poster from the festival would be just the kind of thing that would count as music memorabilia. I'm not a music historian. I'm not much of a historian at all, to be honest. Even so, I recognise plenty of the names on there. Jimi Hendrix, The Who, The Grateful Dead, The Beach Boys, Simon and Garfunkel... Looking into it, Monterey was where Pete Townsend smashed up his guitar and Hendrix set his on fire. They say it was the start of the summer of love. Also, the Beach Boys weren't there. One of the summaries of the festival I found said they were having one of those creative differences falling out that are probably actually about everyone being too off their face on drugs to get on stage at the same time. But they were at the Monterey festival this poster was from. Thus far, the project had sent me artefacts that suggested some pretty major changes. A band attending a festival in one world they didn't show up to in another didn't seem that big a difference to bring to my attention, even if it was the Beach Boys. Then I looked down at some of the other acts, less significant than the headliners. I didn't recognise all of them. Someone called Scott McKenzie, who was a big deal back in the day, I gather. Big Brother and the Holding Company which sounds like the dullest name a psychedelic rock band could possibly choose but there was one more name I recognised The Family featuring Charlie Manson I'm assuming you know who Charles Manson was In our world before forming the family cult Charles Manson was a wannabe musician who hovered around the fringes of the music industry in the later 60s He was a singer-songwriter who was an associate of Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys. If Charles Manson's music career had taken off, it might explain why it was still possible to get all the Beach Boys together in the same room in mid-1967. Maybe Manson helped keep them playing. That's a weird image. But even if he managed to get a music career going, Manson was still Manson. Before he ever came to California, he was a rapist, a pimp and a con artist who spent most of his life in jail. As a penniless nobody, he managed to gather a group of hangers-on, willing to commit murder for him. He told them a massive race war called the Helter Skelter was coming, and that it was their job to make it happen. And they actually believed him. What could a man like that do with money and power and crowds of adoring fans? It was then I realised the poster was double-sided. The other side was under glass too. It was a handwritten set list and going by the time and date at the top. Charles Manson and the family went on during Sunday evening after Hendrix and before the Mamas and the Papas. That was a pretty choice spot. Charlie was making it big. They played eight songs. One of them was Cease to Exist, which in our world was recorded by the Beach Boys. I couldn't find any record of the others. Dark Alleyway. Auto da fé, Political Piggy. And then, at the end of the set, another title. Separated from the rest in the middle of the sheet. Helter Skelter. I hope It was a cover of the Beatles' song. Maybe it was supposed to be an encore, although I doubt the mamas and the papas would have been thrilled about Charlie Manson eating into their stage time. But I suspect it was something else. Charles Manson would absolutely have seized on an event like Monterey to start the Helter Skelter the same way he had his family commit a string of murders to start it in our reality. At first, the possibility he might succeed even in a crowd of thousands and a fanatical following seemed ridiculous. Then I remembered there actually was a race war once in the United States, and the Native Americans lost. I hope, for the sake of everyone in the world of this Monterey, that they know Charles Manson and the family only as a weird, intense part of the summer of love but I doubt Manson would have been satisfied even with fame and recognition. He escalated from petty crook to cult leader to mass murderer, and whatever drove him to do it, I don't think a record deal was enough to keep it quiet. The poster went onto the shelves, hidden away in the stacks where no one will find it unless they know what to look for. But Whistle came back, and there was no accusation of someone messing with the carefully ordered chaos of his office, so... I think I'm in the clear. I want to know more about the project that sends me these things. I wish I'd taken a picture of the weird metal contract, but I'll just have to make do with the parts I remember. I don't have much to go on, just the exclusion area research project and the name, Caroline Beckman, but I did a research skills class at university, and I even studied for some of it. Maybe it's time I started acting like an actual historian. That can wait for now. At the moment, my mind is too full of what the Monterey Pop Festival might have looked like after Charles Manson tried to start the helter-skelter. If he had anything like the power over his fans that he did, over the family in our reality, 1967 wouldn't have had a summer of love.
0: Out of Place was created by Ben Counter. Sound design was done by Pacific S. Ogdaya. If you like this show, consider checking out other Midnight Disease Productions, like The Theater of Tomorrow, The Hotel, Lake Clarity, SCP Archives, and Margaret's Garden.